Got some lively, lively ones among us. If you will, this morning, we won't say whose child that was since we're on the recorder. If you will, turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is one of the more... Ah, yeah, wait. Yeah, sorry. That was on me. (laughs) We'll have a uh, surprise for you in a moment. Trust me. Stay tuned. Deuteronomy 6. uh, We're going to start reading with verse 4. This is probably, it should be at least for you, a very familiar passage. Uh, Speaking of of a Jew, uh, a Jew would have this memorized and Jesus Himself would have said these exact words multiple times a day. Recitation is something that that is uh, prevalent in many religions uh, and in one particular is Judaism. And so Jesus would would have recited these words daily from Deuteronomy 6. This is called the Shema, which is, a, if you say Shema, you're actually already saying a Hebrew word, which is here. Notice these words here as we pick up in verse 4 of 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. We pray, O Spirit, that You would enliven Your Word to us this morning, that You would speak to our hearts here in this place, and that we would respond in faith and obedience, we pray in Your most holy name. Amen. remembering is hard work I am not the only one who struggles with this I've shared a little bit about that over the past two Sundays if you've been with us we've been talking about remembering Uh, we've talked about Deuteronomy in particular being a book of remembrance but naturally just naturally speaking you're going to forget things it's just if you're not reminded of them if you don't put an app on your phone to remind yourself you're going to find yourself in a situation where you've forgotten that you were supposed to be meeting with someone, that you forgot someone's anniversary, that you forgot your own anniversary. Hopefully that won't happen more than once. Uh, You know, we naturally forget. But I've noticed that when crisis strikes, we don't forget as easily. I mean, you can think in your own life. When crisis hits, we oftentimes want to forget, and yet we can't. Uh, Our second pregnancy, uh, Baylor, and by the way, thank you for your prayers and your support for us as Jessica is on bed rest. 
um, continue to please pray for her. We, when we were pregnant with Baylor, and actually when we were give, she was giving birth to Baylor, uh, we were in the hospital room, never forget it. It was one of those crisis moments that hit us. Uh, she was pretty far along uh, in, in this process, and all of a sudden there were no vitals at all for Baylor. Just nothing. I mean, that happens sometimes, you know, nobody's freaking out, you know, the nurse is there, and, and so, you know, it's just they have to move it around. Well, she's moving it around, and so, I, I, you know, I've seen it before with Jackson, and, you know, it's no big deal, no sweat, moving it around, moving around. Well, she starts frantically moving it around. So then I'm like, you know, okay, well, just it'll give it a little second longer, we're good. Frantically more, nothing, nothing, nothing on the screen. I'm looking at the screen. Now my wife is getting involved, of course, and so she now says, what's wrong? To the nurse, the nurse does not answer, continues to look, what's wrong? Nothing, and so now I'm starting to get a little nervous, you know. Well, then she is more frantic and and calls other nurses in. And that's not quick enough, so then she goes to the hallway and yells down the hallway, get in here now. And at this point... I knew something was up. Uh, this was not normal. This was not good. And so, not being a doctor or a nurse or trained in those means, I turned to God. And in that moment where there were no vital signs for Baylor, uh, I dropped to my knees in that hospital room and just verbally started praying out loud as my wife was crying, pleading, What's wrong with my baby? And she wasn't getting any answer. And I just dropped to my knees and started praying out loud as nurses ran in and began to work. And the vital signs picked up. And we have Baylor, healthy as, as and energetic as anyone. That was his only rest, I guess. But <laughs> after that, he was charged up forever. Um, you know, when we come into a time of crisis, we know what we need to be doing. We don't forget during crisis what we should be doing. As you've seen in the news and been aware of, there was tragedy in Paris. Evil. And there was one account that struck me that I want to share briefly with you as we begin this morning. Talking about remembering. It's a South African girl that was 22 years old that survived. And here is the words that she wrote talking about the ones that died right beside her, right in front of her. She says, I feel privileged to be there for their last breaths. And truly believing that I would join them I promise that their last thoughts were not on the animals who caused all this. It was thinking of the people they loved. As I lay down in the blood of strangers and waiting for my bullet to end my mere 22 years, I envisioned every face that I have ever loved and whispered, I love you over and over again, reflecting on the highlights of my life, wishing that those I love knew just how much, wishing that they knew that no matter what happened to me, to keep believing in the good in people, to not let those men win. 
Last night, the lives of many were forever changed, and it is up to us to be better people, to live lives that the innocent victims of this tragedy dreamt about, but sadly will now never be able to fulfill. R.I.P. Angels, you will never be forgotten. I don't know if this girl's a Christian, but what it tells me about human experience when people are in tragedy is that when you are in the face of death, you don't think, I wish I would have sinned more. I wish I would have wasted my time away more. Rather, in the face of death itself, lying in the blood of strangers dying beside you. She recounts that. What comes to mind instinctively are others. Others. Not yourself. Not promoting yourself. Not getting your way. I wish I would have got my way more in life. No one ever says that on their deathbed. Rather, they say, I wish I would have loved more. I wish I would have remembered others more. Do you notice what was going through her head while she was waiting to die was the faces of people. Not money. She's not thinking, oh, you know, I have an account that, I wonder where that's going to go. No. I have all this knowledge, no one will know. No. People matter in the end. Love matters in the end. Love lasts forever. And it's the only thing that lasts forever. And if you can't connect what you're doing to love, it will not last forever. And when you draw your final breath, all of the other stuff will pass away and all that matters is Love. Moses knew this. In Deuteronomy, Moses paints them a picture of the past, the present, and the future. And calls them to remember what God has done in the past for them. Delivering them out of slavery. He calls them to remember the previous generation before them who disobeyed God and were forgotten and lost in the wilderness. He calls them to remember His covenant with them that will take them far beyond just getting into the promised land. But He warns them. He warns them and says, when you get into the land and when I give you other people's houses, when I give you other people's 60-inch TVs and jobs and land. When I give you all these things because that's what's going to happen, you're going to get in the land and you're going to lay up in your recliner and you're going to forget me. This is a call to remember. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one God. (laughs) One of the things I like about um, teaching theology, preaching uh, the Bible, is the Bible is so complex. It really is. The 
doctrine of Christianity is so deep and yet it's so simple. Aren't the simple things in life oftentimes the deepest? I mean, imagine this. Somebody says to you, look, you just got to love people. That's, that's really simple, isn't it? And yet, isn't it the hardest thing to do in life? You just got to love people? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's going to be what you try to do the rest of your life and probably fail at. One God who has created all things who is not the material world, who cannot be made into an image, who has no likeness in all of the world. No one is like Him. No one is like this God. And yet this one God who is our Creator and Redeemer invites us to know Him. To not just know Him and obey Him. Most of us are comfortable with that. Oh yeah, we need to learn about God more. Check. We need to obey and be a good person. Check. But love God? How do you do that? You can obey your boss. You can do the checklist with your boss, even with family. But to love, that's something different. We are called to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, strength. And people ask, well, how do you do that? And it's a tough question, really. And if we really just stop and think about it, it's a tough one. I mean, you can say, well, you need to put your faith in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No doubt. You need to repent of your sins. Absolutely. This is the way you're saved. This is the way you're justified. But it's not just a one-time thing. It's not the way love works, is it? I don't get married and say, okay, we got that finished. Got that over with. No, it's just the beginning. It's not mechanical. Forgive me, engineers. It's not a checklist. Pragmatists. It's not just what you do. It is a relationship. And aren't relationships tough? I mean, you don't always know what to do in relationships, which is why we talk about relationships. We have to help each other with relationships. There's no just one cookie-cutter design for everybody. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what you struggle with. You don't always know what I struggle with. We are in a relationship and there's some things that are just quite frankly fuzzy. But we must tell God we love Him. We must show God we love Him. There's some fuzzy things between me and Jessica, quite frankly. Fuzzy things between you and your husband or wife. I always, I tell this story, but I always find it fascinating. My grandparents on both sides were married over 60 years 
both of them, which is which is beautiful. <laughs> you would think, oh man, somebody's married sixty years. Wow, they don't they never have an argument. Well, <laughs> uh, maybe in your family, but uh, <laughs> Mimo and Pappy, <laughs> not the case. I remember them getting to an argument about the mirror in the car. Uh, Harold, uh, this mirror is off. No, it's not, Betty. And then they just went up from there. I'm like, guys, are we really arguing about a mirror after 50-something years? <laughs> Relationships are ever-changing. They never stay the same. Because we are not just a machine. We're more than that. Love is more than that. It should be something that excites us, really. Yeah, we're going to offend each other every once in a while. Yes, we're going to fail each other. That's part of it. You've done it. I've done it. Let's just get over it. And forgive. There's only one that has lived that never failed. It was Jesus. And He of all people forgave anyway. They don't know what they're doing. He could have just said forgive them. But He goes further and says they don't know what they're doing. You know, I find it fascinating if you remember the story that Jesus tells and I don't think it is a parable. It's Lazarus and the rich man. The way he starts the parable, if you look at it, is not the way he starts this story. This was a real beggar and a real rich man. You notice the rich man does not get his name mentioned? He goes to hell. Lazarus, who's a poor guy who wasn't well-known in the world, becomes well-known, and we're still speaking about him in America and Alabama in 2015. The story is that they both died. And the rich man had passed Lazarus countless times at the temple gate. So apparently he was a churchgoer. And they both die, and angels take Lazarus to the bosom of Abraham, the comforted side of Sheol. If you're confused about Sheol, Hades, and hell, Gehenna, and even the lake of fire, which are four different things, you're just going to have to write me an email. We don't have time today. Uh, <laughs> um, forgive me, but um, this, preaching is not always teaching, and that's the, uh, that's the difference. But he goes to the comforted side of Hades. Whereas the rich man goes to the tormented side. And there's a great gulf between them. And you know what I always find fascinating about the story? Because this is the only account I'm aware of post-mortem of someone's whereabouts that we get it. Especially hell. What we would call hell at least. And what's fascinating is the man that is on the tormented side wants others to go tell the good news. He says, please go tell my brothers and my family not to come here. What happens in crisis? We stop thinking about ourselves. Things get real clear. And they get real right. 
We start thinking clearly when death is knocking at our door. There's a saying that I use often, and that is, nothing clears the head more than knowing that tomorrow you will hang and die. You knew that. That's going to go on tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. You're going to live differently today. Why not now? Our clarity is not on ourselves, but others. And there must be one other who has a capital O that must be at the forefront of this whole thing, and that is God. That is Jesus who becomes the sacrifice for our sins. Who becomes the mediator between God and man. Who becomes our Redeemer. The one who rescues us. The one who goes behind enemy lines. In disguise, you might say. In the flesh. You would have looked at Him and He would have been like you. There was no halo that floated around Him. There was no choir of angels when He opened the door. Ah, ah. There was none of this. He was human. And yet, fully God. For us, He goes behind enemy lines and starts a revolution, a rebellion against the prince of the air who is the accuser. The enemy. Evil. And He dies for us and resurrects from the dead in His actual body. And that body alone saves. There is no other body that saves. You ever notice how when you get scared, you actually want a body around? Somebody. I mean, you know, you're in the woods... You get turned around and you start yelling. Why? Not so the birds will come. You're not looking for Lassie. You're looking for a human. You're looking for another person. When we get in trouble, we start calling for others. You see the theme here? What we must remember is this is not about us, but others. There's one thing that I wish I would have done from the start of my kids' lives, but <clears throat> William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, who some of you participated in that ministry that we offer here uh, this past Wednesday, he used to whisper in his children's ears after they had fallen asleep, others, others. His family turned the world upside down in Great Britain in a time where there was so much drunkenness, so much immorality, it didn't even look like a Christian nation anymore. Sound familiar? It is not too late. When has it ever been too late for God? It is our time, did we not just read it from Daniel, to shine as lights in the night. It's the only thing that will save the world, not bombs. I know that's the nation's response to Paris is bombs and, and ammunition. You know what? That's what nations do. That's what countries do. But the Christian response is not to stay locked and loaded 
other than with this Word and this good news and with this body that God has given to you. When we lay down this body, things begin to change. We no longer are working for our kingdom, but rather a greater kingdom. And you know what psychologists tell us? Is that when people get focused on something greater than themselves, they're actually happier. Who would have ever thought? You want to be happy? Make others happy. That's Zig Ziglar. I wish that was mine, but it's not. But I use it. I hope he doesn't mind. There's really these two things. One God, love that God, and do what He says. Thirdly. But there's a little little nuance to that. And that is, it's not just on tablets of stone anymore, but rather on your heart. This is what makes this a walk of faith. Now look, you know, I like to be as scientific as the next guy even in my beliefs of faith. Just because I'm a person of faith does not discount science or living in the real world. So you say, what is the heart? What do you mean written on the heart? On this palpitating organ that's in the center of my chest that's about the size of my fist? No. No. I mean... Even our secular world uses the terminology of I love you with all my heart. They don't mean just a fist size. It's not what's meant. Rather, it is the control panel of who you are. It's the operating system in your phone. You have all these different apps, right? And you've got all these different things you do in your life. But there's one controlling, making the decision sort of thing that if it goes down, everything goes down. It's called the operating system. Your heart is that important to all of who you are. This side of you that's spiritual and this side of you that's very physical. The heart, the emotions, the personality, the soul, the spirit of one. All this comes together in what the Hebrew people were revealed as the heart. We even say it in a metaphorical way when we say things like, it's the heart of the matter. Meaning it's the center. If God is not at that center, if you're not obedient at that center, the other processes, the other apps are going to be messed up. You ever had one of those updates on your phone and it started messing up all your apps because they weren't ready for it? That's what we're talking about. Things are not going to work well when the heart is not well. We are to love God with all our heart, but we are also to obey Him and allow God to write His commands on our heart. Something we have to actually allow the Spirit to do. The prophets actually prophesy about this. In the, they say, look, there is a day coming, guys, where no longer will it just be external obedience, but God will come down to the heart of the matter. What does Jesus do when He ascends the sermon, or with the, uh, ascends the mountain where He gives the Sermon on the Mount? Is He says, you know what? The law says this. I say this. And He pushes the law to the very heart of the matter. What's in your heart? 
what's at the center of who you are. Do you love God with all your heart? You can. Here's how. Three simple ways. You already know them. It's nothing new this morning. Prayer. You have to pray to God if you love God. Amen. Jessica actually really loves me. And I appreciate that about her. Because I'm telling you, her love is different than anybody else's I've ever received. More than my dad's, more than my brother's, more than my mother, more than my best friend's. And it's really tough not to see her sitting here on the front row because her support means more than any scholar has ever given me, which they've not given me much. (laughs) More than any colleague of mine. What she says about my sermon means more to me because she has backed it up with love. Don't we need people like that in our life? Don't we need to be those people to others? Who needs your love? The only way they're going to get it, true love, is if He pours within us His love. And He is more than willing to, if we will pray. Prayer is the greater work. It is the greatest work we can do for others. How many people have you prayed for in this room this week? How many people have you prayed for outside of your little laundry list of things you want God to do today? How many people have you prayed for? I'm not trying to get on to I'm just trying to be real with you. If our prayer's always on us and our protection and our you know, I actually had to correct our children because they were always just only praying for our protection. I dare you to find three prayers in the Bible for personal protection. Notice how people pray in the Bible. It is for others. It's a heart condition. Read the Bible. Pray. Read the Bible. You want to love God? Read the Bible. When you enter into this Word, this is His Word to us. John Wesley says, I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing. (laughs) The way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God Himself has condescended to teach me the way. For this very end, He came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unius libri. Didn't speak in tongues, but rather, let me be a man of one book. Here then I am 
Far from the busy ways of men, I sit down alone. Only God is here. In His presence, I open. I read His book for this end to find the way to heaven. That's where you go, enough said, right? Drop the mic. That's what my college students say, okay? They said, man, Mr. Day, that was a drop the mic kind of statement right there. I was like, oh yeah, right on. You know. <laughs> church. That's the third thing. If you want to love God, you got to love the church. The church is His body. His body. I don't just say to my wife, I really like your head. I don't like the rest of you. And yet people do that with Christ all the time, don't they? Do we have to go to church? Do we have to take care of this body? Do we have to participate in this body? If you don't, He's not your head. He must be the head because you're not. I'm not. We are the remembering community. This community is where Jesus is remembered week after week, day after day in the activities we do. They're not just random activities that we have. We often have many announcements and many things that are going on. And as we grow as a church, that will increase. But here are the basics, and that is we must connect it all to God, the other, with a capital O, and others with a lowercase. Because here's what God tells us in His Word, is that we cannot actually love Him if we don't love others. Amen. We can't be forgiven if we don't forgive. It's not He's trying to be mean. It is the way things work. Jason Corrigan gave me a neat little illustration I'm going to share with you, even though he's not here today. I give him props. Uh, he said Angelina the other day was eating, and she's at this stage, you'll know this stage if you've had children, where they, you know, they, they start grabbing stuff to eat it, right? And, and they're trying to figure out their motor skills. You know what I mean? It's so funny to watch this. They make a mess, but it's still funny. Uh, they, and she, he, he said that she grabbed some stuff to put it in her mouth. She really wanted these snacks. She grabbed it, and then she just, you know, couldn't quite get it in her mouth. She couldn't open up her hand. She had grabbed it, you know, but she's like, doesn't know the motor function really just yet to, to know when to release and how to place it in the mouth. So she's just kind of popping her face, you know, with them smearing this stuff all over her face. She can't open her hand. And he said, you know what? God spoke to me in that moment and said, that's how you are. You want to get. You want to grab at all kind of stuff, but you don't know how to control it. You have to open your hands to God. We must live lives with open hands. Not just the first thing He gives us, we grab it, this is mine. All mine. No. This. This is why we do this in worship sometimes. You see me sometimes just simply open my hands. Sometimes I'll just do it like this so, so that I'm actually physically showing God, you know what? This stuff that I might even be able to balance in an open hand, I want to drop it. It's all you. This is all these kids of mine, they're yours. This wife, this house, this church, ministry, gifts, it's yours. 
not mine. For the use of others. Folks, when we live like that, you're going to find joy. Yes. You're going to find peace. And when you are lying in other people's blood or taking your last breath uh, at the end, you know what will flash before you is all those who you have loved. Because that's what matters in the end. There's a reason you may have noticed that I did not do the announcements up front, uh, even though we have a lot. It's because I wanted to connect what we're doing at this church to loving others. To showing you that we are this remembering community. And when we do just a simple act, you ever notice how many, it's just a simple act sometimes that means so much, isn't it? A little note from someone. A special word to you from someone. A painting, just like what we just heard of, with somebody's picture drawn on it, means so much that a man turns to Jesus Christ and his life is altered forever. What's better than that? And when we do something simple like this Operation Christmas Child, just filling a shoebox, I mean, what's the square footage of that? Not much. With gifts that we can really afford to actually give. Why will we not lavish this with good gifts? Pray over this so that someone on the other side of the world can remember that they are not alone. That they are remembered by someone in America. Do you know how people look at America around the world? I know there's bad pictures. But you know what? In poor countries, they still look at America as this, wow, you're an American. In India, that's the way they see it. They think it's awesome over here. We just humdrum. This is us. But they think it's awesome. To get something from somebody on the other side of the world like that, what would that mean to somebody? Just a simple thing. Look, we're going we're gonna to put this up here. I mean, there's going to be stacks. I'm praying. It's <laughs> living by faith. But I'm praying that there's going to be stacks and stacks of these boxes next Sunday. We're going to lay here and we're going to physically touch every one of them, lay our hands on them, and send those boxes out so that others might know the good news. You know what else we have going on? We have two ministries in particular right at Thanksgiving that we would love for you to be involved with. Do you know that there are people around you that can't get out? Older people that do not have family that's going to come visit them? Jack and Carrie do a really neat thing called Meals on Wheels. You probably are familiar with it. They go around and they actually bring meals to people who can't get out. It's an awesome ministry. On the holidays, though, those, those are not offered. So they're going to offer that on Thanksgiving Day. You can join them as they touch people's lives right probably beside you. Maybe not a couple miles from your home. A lady is stuck in her house. A widow. You know what God says about widows? You better take care of them. How you treat them is how you treat me. There's also a community Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be at Bob Jones. So all this stuff's on our website. All this stuff's on the back of your bulletin. All this stuff's at the back table or right over here on this table. And it's also in the heads of people like Jack and Carrie, myself, Brian, and others. 
So if you want to know about how to get involved, there's no reason that we cannot take what has been said today and not just sit on it. Not just say, oh, that was a good thought, man. I, yeah, I appreciate it. And then go on about it. No, instead, jump in. Let's change lives. It's the little things, people. I'm telling you. It's the little things you do that make the biggest difference. It's being faithful to your wife every day. That sounds boring. And yet it changes the world. Amen. It's teaching your kids. Isn't that what he just said in Deuteronomy? Teach this to your... What better way to say, you know what, kids? We need to give thanks. And not just leave it at that, but say, you know what? We need to give thanks. That's why we're going to do something out of the ordinary this Thanksgiving and go serve someone else. You can do that the night before Thanksgiving. They're going to have a dinner for those who don't have family in town. And trust me, that's a lot of people. They had like 500 people or something last year. We can actually go. And you know what? A lot of the jobs are already filling up on the website. You say, oh man, I'm not going to get... Listen, they said anybody can come and sit with people and simply talk to them and eat with them. You get a free meal? You can do that. We need all kinds of people to do that. We can do that. We should do that. <laughs> Just keep going. Um, we should. We should do that. There's many more other ways to get involved, to be a light. There's some things in 2016 that I hope are going to blow your mind. Some of the plans that we have received from God that has been downloaded to us that is bigger than us, which means it's a God thing. It means it's something we're not going to be able to accomplish. I'm not going to be able to manhandle it through. It's going to take us all working together to be salt and light right here in this community, right here in your neighborhood. You see, we don't try as a church just to get bigger, to say, oh, look, we're bigger, and we're now better just because we're bigger. No, it means that you're reaching those around you. It means you're reaching your neighbors and your coworkers. This is not my ministry. It's not Marshall Dag Ministries Incorporated. I can promise you right now, it will never be. It's Jesus' work. He's the boss. He's the head pastor. He wants to put some stuff in your heart. He wants to help some of you dream of ministries that can be done right here because it's not all up to me. I am here to equip the saints, what the Bible says. I don't mean the New Orleans saints. I mean those holy ones right here in this room. I'm not one of the holy... Yes, you are. If you are in Christ, Paul even calls the Corinthians saints. If they're saints, you're a saint. He wants to give you some things. He wants to paint a picture of how you can help people right under your nose because that's who we're going to be judged by. It's Jesus. And if you're obedient to Him in your heart... I love when people say, in my heart, I think the Lord's talking to me in my heart. I love that. You know, no sermon is ever adequate enough. I never feel like it's good enough, which is, which is a good thing. But I want to see, most of all, people fall in love with Jesus. 
You, you can show me all your work, stuff like that, you know, and, and we can go back and forth. But when there's a love for Jesus, you can't make that up. You can see it in everything you do. I'm pleading with you this morning to fall in love with Jesus. Doing these things that, that we're talking about helps, but it's got to be in here. You've got to let Him do that work. I can't do it for you. can't give you a checklist. You're going to have to spend time with Him. Sorry. That's how it works. And when you do, you'll never be the same again. Amen.